0: After being introduced as the two-time Golden Globe winner at the 2016 Golden Globes, Jim Kerry opened with these incredible words. Thank you. I am two-time Golden Globe winner Jim Kerry. You know, when I go to sleep at night, I'm not just a guy going to sleep. I'm two-time Golden Globe winner Jim (laughs) Kerry, going to get some well-needed shut-eye. And when I dream, he continued, I don't just dream any old dream, no sir. I dream about being (laughs) three-time Golden Globe winning actor Jim Carrey. Because then I would be enough. It would finally be true and I could stop this terrible search for what I know ultimately won't fulfill me. In wonderful satirical fashion, Jim Carrey unmasks the deep existential search for fulfillment and identity that so many of us struggle with, not just in our city, but in the church. I perform, therefore I am. I am what others think of me. I'm a product of my successes or my failures. I am what I do and what I have Or simply, I have no idea who I am. Anyone ever been tempted to perform, earn, or compete for a sense of identity? Glad it's just me. Oh, there's a few of us. (laughs) Ever projected an identity through social media to secure yourself? Pastors never do that ever struggled with a sense of living under a cycle of law and constantly failing instead of a cycle of grace, growing in confidence in God's love and who we are in him. This morning, I want to explore briefly the search for identity and what it means to be adopted into the family of God. It has and always has been God's intention that we find our identity, security, and purpose in him. He is longing for us to live into our full adoption, secured as his sons and daughters. Adoptions, a word the Bible uses to describe the nature of the relationship we can have with God as father. God wants to be our father and he wants us to see ourselves as his sons and daughters, as his children. And Paul, in his appeal to the Galatian church, lays out how adoption into the family of God happens and what it means. If you have Bibles, you can open them to Galatians 4, one to seven. The scripture will also come up on the screen. Think of it this way, Paul says, if a father dies and leaves an inheritance for his young children, those children are not much better off than slaves until they grow up, even though they actually own everything their father had. They have to obey their guardians until they reach whatever age the father set. And that's the way it is with us before Christ came. We were like children. We were slaves to the basic spiritual principles of the world. Pray for that parent right now. (laughs) Is it great our kids are grown up, darling? (laughs) It is a different sort of sleeplessness with young adult children. But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out Abba, Father. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are a His child, God has made you his heir. In the church of Galatians, Jewish Christian leaders have been teaching new Christians that to really be loved and accepted by God, they needed to follow some of the Old Testament law and basically become like Jews. So Paul's writing this letter to make sure the Galatians don't fall back into thinking that you have to earn God's love and acceptance. And he makes an appeal to them to stay true to the message of God's grace in the midst of competing voices, trying desperately to force them back into a performance-oriented identity. A performance-oriented identity. I perform, therefore I am way of life. So he reminds them of the false gods they were enslaved to before they embraced the gospel and appeals for them not to fall back into religiosity, idolatry, law, and slavery. Now, you need to remember, Paul is a Jewish rabbi who converted to Christianity, but he's also a Roman citizen. So when he speaks of adoption, he's thinking as a Jew, a Christian, and a Roman. So his understanding of adoption is threefold. Israel's adoption by God. You know the story of Israel. God constantly woos them into their adoptive relationship with him. And then they go off chasing after idols over and over again, back and forth. Exile to free, slavery to freedom. Exile back into adoption. He's also speaking as a Christian's adoption through Christ. And then he's referencing the Roman system of adoption. In the Roman world of the first century, when Paul's writing this, an adopted son was deliberately chosen by his adoptive father to perpetuate his name and inherit the estate. The person adopted was often a son of the slave, and so his adoption led to what was known as manumission. This is not the club in Ibiza, revealing my life, BC. But but, But the act of freeing a slave from his contract of slavery. An adopted child had no less status or rights than a natural-born legitimate child. Even some of Rome's greatest leaders were adopted. So Paul takes the illustration of what happens when someone receives the full rights of adoption and uses it to describe what God does in people's lives by grace through faith In Christ. It's so important we understand this, particularly in the culture we live in that is constantly wooing us towards a performance orientated identity. That at the perfect time, God the Father sends his son into the world so that through him, the whole world might be delivered from slavery. And as the Holy Spirit is poured into their hearts as a seal of their adoption, the Abrahamic promise of Israel's adoption by God becomes a reality yet again. The son becomes a slave. That those who were slaves become children belonging to God. The great exchange on the cross. And what's true for the early church becomes true for us. That at the right time, God sent his son, subject to the law, to buy freedom for you and me who are slaves to sin, so that he could adopt us as his children. Do you know that? It's through Christ that we experience liberty from slavery, adoption into a family, and live as children of God. And any other form of securing our identity outside of this truth is to return back to the slavery of law and sin. We don't get there through our performance. We don't earn it by following rules or trying hard enough. We don't get it from the culture around us. We get it through our yes to Jesus. And at the point of our yes to him, we're adopted into the family of God and our identity shifts from orphans to heirs, from slaves to free, and we become Abba's child, secured in the love of our father. That's the reality. That is the defining reality of who we are and to whom we belong to. Paul puts it beautifully in Romans 8, 14 to 17, when he says this So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father, for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, Together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. If we share in his glory, we must also share in his sufferings. The Spirit fills our hearts as a confirmation of our experience as adoption, and the cycle of slavery is broken. No longer slaves as the song sings. And as Abba's child, we live with our identity secured in the love of God through the power of the Holy Spirit. Outside of that, we're orphans. And as orphans, we live a life of performance orientation where our identity is through what I do. Simon Tugwell, in his book on the Beatitudes, puts it like this. Like runaway selves, we either flee our own reality or manufacture a false self, which is mostly admirable, mildly prepossessing, and superficially happy. We hide what we know or feel ourselves to be behind some kind of an appearance, which we hope will be more pleasing. We hide behind pretty faces, which we put on for the benefit of our public, And in time, we may even come to forget that we are hiding and think that our assumed pretty face is what we really look like. Living as though I have to manufacture my sense of being. What a bankrupt economy economy that is. This is what the orphan way of life can look like. We're going to have a slide that comes up. Our identity is earned. We earn who we are through our careers. I have met with people that have reached the top of their careers in all sorts of vocational pathways, only to find that when they get there, they're absolutely exhausted, empty, and feel worthless, and yet they're most successful in their field of work. Relationships, constantly bouncing through relationships, to earn our identity, the roles we play in life. We can be driven, anxious, and fearful. We find security and significance achieved by what I do and what others think of me. Happiness is sought in autonomy from God. Identity is maintained by effort, control, and performance. I am constantly on the hamster wheel, performing for my identity. I once said in a message when I was speaking about this, we need to shoot the hamsters. (laughs) I upset quite a few people, actually. (laughs) Identity in success and the accumulation of material possessions. I mean, I'm describing the milieu of LA culture, am I not? trapped in cycles of compulsivity and addiction. So many of us on the outside look successful, beautiful and wonderful when on the inside we have these lonely places where we have deep compulsivity, hurt, pain, brokenness, histories where we've unfulfilled and so we've sought our identity in broken ways. And then we avoid reality through denial, hiding ourselves from God, hiding our true self from others, even hiding from ourselves in denial. So, as orphans, we behave to belong. Orphans behave to belong. And we search for our belonging in what we do, to live as an orphan, is to live in slavery to fear. Now, I have a confession to make. I have lived more than half of my life as an adult pastor in this way. But if only I reached a place of holiness... If only I prayed hard enough. If only I did the disciplines hard enough. If only I was able to finish the one year in a Bible thing. Ah! Oh, every new year, here we go again. <laughs> Download the app, get the Bible, off we go. Only to fail and feel just... Uh, if only I pray hard enough... If only I'd become the best pastor on the planet, which I can't because Gare Jones is that. (laughs) And then finally, finally, I decided to stop. I was just so exhausted, so exhausted and tired of performing as a pastor. So many pastors I know live like this. We see it with a history of them falling off the edge because they're living the false self, desperately attempting to secure themselves by being great pastors. And God met me in that place. I'd love to say it was a glorious moment, but it was more like a, ah, oh, about time. <laughs> it was in love, but it was about time. And I was like, yeah, it's about time. I'm exhausted, yeah, huh? I bet you are. Now watch what I can do. Stop the performance and watch what I can do. Do you know, some of the most godly, powerful people I've met are the unknown saints who have that profound sense of deep contentment in who they are. And when you walk into their presence, it's like you're sitting with this deep sense of contentment and it exposes all of your false self and you just cry in their presence because they're just at peace. They're like unplugged from the matrix. You know what I mean? As Abba's child, we belong to him and from that place, we behave. We belong and then behave. What we do, we do out of belonging to him and our experience of his love. In 1735, a man named Howard Har was filled with the Holy Spirit and cried out these words as he experienced this. I felt suddenly my heart melting within me like wax before the fire with love to God my savior and felt not only peace but longing to be dissolved and be with Christ <laughs> great language can you imagine feeling like Lord dissolve me then there was a cry in my inmost soul and I was totally unacquainted with it before Abba Father Abba Father I could not help calling out to my God, my Father. I knew that I was his child and that he loved and heard me. My soul being filled and saturated, crying, "'Tis enough, I am satisfied. Give me strength and I will follow thee through water and fire." I could say I was happy indeed. Indeed. That man went on to become one of the most remarkable evangelists and a founder of the Welsh revival that spread across the planet like a fire. This is what the life of Abba's child looks like. First and foremost, our identity is secured. Identity secured. Living without fear because I know who I am, I'm content, I'm secure. Full adoption into God's family, chosen and safe. What would it feel like to feel safe in God, not in other people, not in the roles I play, but in who I am in him, beloved, trusted, and receiving identity from him. Significance is achieved by being loved by God first. It's first button, first hole stuff. You know that first button, first hole? If you start here on the first button, first hole, you know? If you don't, it goes all wrong. (laughs) Identity is who I'm becoming in Christ. I do what I... I do as a result of who I am in him. And my identity is received as a gift. And it's maintained by grace. And because of this, I embrace reality. I seek after emotional maturity. And I live healthy relationships. Because I'm not dependent upon those relationships to secure me. I know how to forgive people and how to ask forgiveness. Those who live as Abba's child live life formed by what God thinks of them. The challenge is that we have to claim this reality every single day because the culture we live in bombards us from the minute we leave our front door to the minute we get home with performance-oriented identity. If you haven't named where you are tempted to perform to become, then do it tomorrow when you pray. Know your weak spots. Know the places where you feel insecure and where the culture offers you alternative ways to live that out. Know it, name it, and shut it down and come back to your Father in heaven who wants to define you and say to you, no more, don't go there anymore. You don't need to. Henry Nouwen, in an incredible book called The Life of the Beloved, one of the books I've probably given away the most there's like three or four books I give away the most. This is one of them. And If you've never read this, it's such an, uh, an amazing book. He puts this. The great spiritual battle begins and never ends with the reclaiming of our chosenness. Long before any human being saw us, we were seen by God's loving eyes. Long before anyone heard us cry or laugh, we were heard by our God who is all ears for us. Long before a person spoke to us in this world, we are spoken to by the voice of eternal love. Our preciousness, uniqueness, and individuality are not given to us by those we meet in clock time, our brief chronological existence, but by the one who has chosen us with an everlasting love, a love that existed from all eternity and will last through all eternity. It's this love that's going to carry us home. So we need to be continually redefined and reshaped to allow the truth of our adoption to penetrate the core of who we are. And the way we do that is by constantly coming back to the voice of Abba in scripture and in prayer. We say this in emotionally healthy spirituality. We just have to make the time to sit in God's presence. There's no shortcut. We have to sit for long enough that we feel those wheels spinning in us start to slow down and we can identify what's truly driving us in our core and expose it before the presence of God is bankrupt and say, Lord, help. We need to ask the Holy Spirit to search our heart. Reveal to us where we might be living out of an orphan spirit and invite him to break that off us. Recognize your story and how it's affected you. We need to confess our need and dependence on him. We are not autonomous. We are not independent. We are not radical, autonomous individuals. We are interdependent. We need each other, but we need to be true and real to each other so that we're not faking it in here to make it. What, what, what hope is there if we fake it in here? So we need to know what it means to be dependent, dependent upon each other as the family of God and dependent on the Lord. Ask the Lord that he would release a fresh infilling of his empowering spirit and show you who you are becoming in him. And lastly, in faith, believe that God has the ability to break the cycle of law and slavery and walk you into freedom and watch what he does. I'm going to invite you to stand. No point in preaching without practicing. And some of you, while looking at those lists, I know because of the nine, a few folk came up and said, thank you so much, I could punch you and hug you at the same time. (laughs) But I look at that list, that's my wrestle point too. This is the great temptation to manufacture our own selves. And God's saying no, particularly in a city like LA, with the industries that are in LA. So let's just take a moment to close our eyes. Going to invite the Holy Spirit to fill this space, to reveal to us the places we need to be vulnerable before Him, to know that we know that we know, to invite the spirit of adoption to break into our hearts, to unmask that which is not from God. And I'm going to ask you just at this moment, everyone's eyes are closed, just to stand before the Lord, as it were, naked. Lord, here am I. For some of you, you'll know straight away these places where you wrestle, where you're tempted to perform. For some of you, you are absolutely bankrupt and exhausted. And God's saying, I got you glad we got here. And now watch what I can do. For others, you know you're wrestling with things that have caught you captive. The Lord's saying, it's time to give them to me. He wants to break the orphan spirit from us. No more performance. No more trying really, really hard. No more faking it. Because as Abba's child, you don't have to. And so Holy Spirit, fall afresh on your sons and daughters. Holy Spirit, fill us with the relief of knowing we belong to the Father. Let's just take a moment or two to stand before the Lord. feel sense i need to say this to someone here maybe more than one person here that that thing that you've done or that's been done to you that you think separates you from the presence of god that's a lie it doesn't nothing nothing separates you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. So give it to the Lord. Let him take it from you. And watch what he can do in that space. And so, Lord, as we move into worship, pray we'd stay in this place with you. We give you permission to speak to our hearts. And we step into full adoption as your sons and daughters. So as we worship, invite the Lord to fill you that you might know that you know that you know that you know you are God's son, God's daughter, and he loves you.